were good for our uh, episode. Was it eight now? Episode eight. Episode and we're eight, back. We had a little bit of a one. hiatus. Yeah, yeah, but hiatus because you rebuilt your office. So yes. um, I, I finally have moved into uh, my new very large office. So if there is a echo during the podcast, I uh, apologize to our listeners. I will try to reduce that as much as I can. I have a have a makeshift uh, blanket, my child's blankets behind my computer right now to try and block some of that. So um, we have Charmaine Lee here today. Yes, it's like I mentioned earlier, the three amigos. It's like we're all back together again, virtually. So welcome to the podcast, Charmaine. Thank you for having me. How are things? How is the pandemic treating you? It's good. Um, I really don't go out much, so a lot more time spent at home, um, getting to FaceTime my family a lot more. Um, so all is well. I think it's refreshing to have this quarantine period. Um, yeah. You're probably the only person that I know that thinks of quarantine as refreshing. Uh, yeah, I, think I, I feel like it's a crazy time. Yeah, I mean, definitely the the premise of this is terrible and really wish it wasn't happening. But also the introverted side of me is very content. <laughs> That's how I feel. It's, it's like, oh, by the way, you have to stay inside and you have to like use your electronics all the time, like play video games, read. I'm like, oh, great. I don't have to go to any social function. <laughs> yeah, what an inconvenience. Right. No, it's interesting because uh, I had coworkers that would ask about, you know, things like remote work and how to change. Like, I've been working remote for the past three years. Nothing changed for me. Literally, like work-wise, like it's the same. Um, obviously, there's a lot of stuff that's going on outside that is very different and very stressful. But in terms of work and kind of the professional aspects, not a lot changed. Mm -hmm. I made a comment the other day that um, honestly, I've noticed that more people are like open to networking, like on Twitter. I've met several people already, um, LinkedIn, just like cold reaching out. Um, it's like people are kind of socially starved right now. So they're a little more apt to like, if you're, as long as you're not spamming them, right. But you're asking kindly. I mean, like I said, I've had many, many intros. So, I mean, to our listeners, I would definitely encourage you to maybe even just try to get out of your comfort zone when reaching out to people online. So Charmaine, have you hit Zoom fatigue yet? I haven't yet, but I've also only been working in the internship for two and a half months. Um, so yeah, not yet, but I, I could see it being a thing if I had to do this long term. So like when classes move online in the fall, I think that would become more problematic. But right now, I think it's kind of fun. I'm still in that fun phase. <laughs> That, that's always awesome to hear because I definitely hit the point where I'm like, oh my gosh, another meeting. Like, can we go to a conference room or something? But anyway, uh, enough about us. Uh, tell us about yourself. So you're doing a virtual internship, right? Like, am I correct in assuming that it's, you're not on site? Yeah, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not on site. Um, I'm working remotely from home, so I'm in Vancouver. Um, and give to give like context about kind of my journey. So I'm Charmaine and I am, entering into my last semester of university this fall. So that's really exciting. It took a solid five years, but <laughs> we're getting there. Um, so I major in computer science and I minor in creative writing. Um, and yeah, I'm right now a PM intern on Courtney and Den's old team um, in developer relations at Microsoft. And you awesome. were on, and just to be clear, um, you had interned before. Have you, you've interned before at Microsoft, right? Yeah, I've interned at several places and then I've also interned at Microsoft. Like this is my third one. So a senior intern, if you might say. And so have you been through like, like, okay, what, what was your, how'd you get your foot in the door first of all? And where was that? Like what division was it in? Yeah, so my first internship was actually in the garage which Dan used to help mentor as well. Um, so that's a Vancouver internship and it's a very different, unique internship where it's basically 16 weeks. You have a project that you're gonna build from start to end. Um, so they're looking for people who are very scrappy, almost entrepreneurial, but with the tech chops. So that's kind of the garage program. And so I applied to that, I think in 2017. Um, and that was kind of my first foot in the door, um, interviewing, going through that process. And then um, I kind of heard about that through a variety of like career fairs at school. Um, they were helping out with uh, the hackathon that I used to organize. Um, 
And there was something called like the Microsoft Student Partner Program, which I was a part of way back when. Um, and that was also a really cool intro to Microsoft Technologies and why I thought it was a really good place to land. Shout out to our friend, Stefan. Yeah, shout out to our friend, Stefan. Stefan, Stefan is the father of the garage. <laughs> yes, and he's still running it. He's still in Vancouver. Yeah, yeah. For those of you who don't know, uh, Stefan is the person running the garage. He is the father to so many interns every year, and he's just an amazing PM. <laughs> yeah, I I'm sure he'll be glad to hear that. And uh, yeah, he he's very highly regarded in the Vancouver office, and I'm sure at Microsoft as a whole. So to to that extent. Um, so you work. You mentioned that you worked at different companies other than Microsoft. Um, how does it compare? Like, I'm curious. How do the internships compare across different companies? Yeah. So um, I guess for context, I was previously my first role was actually at BC Children's Hospital, um, and then I worked at SAP, uh, Slack, Pinterest. Um, they were all like software engineering roles, and then did PM internships at Microsoft. Um, so I think that the experience is definitely very different from company to company and then also really different from team to team. So like going from the garage to docs and DevRel is very different. Um, so how does it compare? I think that Microsoft is a place where you right away realize that there is a massive network of people. Um, so you, you're just constantly learning from really brilliant minds and there's no exhaust of that. Um, you'll never run out. You'll always be meeting new people no matter how long you've been here or so I like to think. Um, and so that's a really great point of it. And there's a lot of resources available. So it feels like no matter what you do, there's someone who has tried it before or um, done something similar that can kind of help you help guide you and serve as a light for what you're about to do. Um, so in that sense, and there's also a lot of people from very different parts of their journey in their career journey. So there's a lot to learn from as well um, there. Um, in terms of how it compares to like maybe a place like Slack, I think Slack is a lot more scrappy and a lot more comparable to say the garage than DevRel. Um, things move really fast um, and a lot less process around the things that you're doing. Um, so if your goal is to really come out of an internship to just get like really technical chops and um, like gain really, really tangible skills, I think that's one interning at a slightly smaller space is really beneficial. And then, um, but if you're into learn being really integrated within a team and learning how to work with other people, then that's where Microsoft's kind of the gold mine for doing that. Um, and it's very collaborative between teams as well. So, yeah. And you've shifted between, you mentioned that your background is like, your, your area of study is computer science, creative writing, um, and you've almost kind of done that in, in the way that you've structured your internships. You mentioned that you've done software engineering, right? And then you've also done PMing, which I honestly consider a form of creative writing, right? <laughs> there's so yes. much writing to that. Um, uh, tell us uh, why there's that split. Like, is it, have you tried or wanted to do a engineering role at Microsoft? Or is there a certain reason you went, um, you kind of split your time between the two? Yeah, so I think... Um... It's something that I definitely go back and forth in a lot. And I actually, it's something that I kind of take after Den as well, like seeing it's, I think in your heart, you're an engineer, but you're kind of where the best way to display that skill set is through PMing. Um, and I think that's kind of how I see it. So like, I really love building things. And I think that's where I started wanting to go into computer science because I loved building things and whatever I thought about, I could just make it myself. Um, but then I realized that when you're a software engineer, especially at a large company, um, you kind of don't really get that much control over like what you're actually working on. Um, so I think that's the part that was a disconnect for me as a regular software engineer. And so I wanted to try to bridge that gap of, um, actually coming up with the solutions and thinking about the impact that it's going to have on our users and, um, looking at like the data behind why we're doing certain things rather than just doing them. Um, and I think there are a lot of scenarios in which you could do that as a software engineer. And I would say that like, say during my time at Slack or even BC Children's Hospital, um, I actually did get a lot of PM opportunities, but that's also because the nature of um, being at a smaller place where you can afford to have these hybrid roles when everyone's not as um, hyper specialized. Um, and then in terms of 
yeah, like I, yeah, so I think that's the biggest thing that draws me to PMing. Um, and it's something that I flip flopped a lot back on. Um, like, do I want to do PM or do I want to uh, do suite? And that's why I keep coming back to Microsoft in between like other internships. Um, so I think it's like, I want to keep both open, but I think my heart is in product, at least at the moment. I, I know from working with you that I think at least your brain and your vision is there, right? Like you want to be impacting change. And yeah, at a larger org, the PMs have so much of a kind of a um, a lead on that, right? They they actually can like inject themselves at the right points in time in the conversation. Whereas an engineer, um, they can be a little bit removed sometimes from that. So I, yeah, it's, it's a matter of perspective, right? Because I, I think when we think about engineering, there's kind of that um, assumption that I sometimes hear is like, well, if I'm an engineer, then I have kind of zero control over the product. Uh, that's probably less accurate in real life because you still have a lot of control over the product. You are the kind of the technical guru behind everything that goes on. You care about the performance. You care about, uh, you know, a UX that is speedy and that works well and that is, you know, resizable on mobile devices. Uh, PMs take it a level higher where now you kind of have that understanding of your customers and the business and you're less you're, you're more removed from kind of the deeper technical insights, but that doesn't mean that you can be technical. And I think that's that's a very big distinction when um, the assumption is like, oh, if I'm a PM, I'm not gonna be technical. Absolutely not. You can be super technical and super successful and still write code if you want to. Yeah, I agree. I think as a PM, you really have to know where your strengths are. So like, I think last summer, for example, didn't code much. And that was the basis of my project. It didn't require that a lot more user research heavy. And then this time around coming back, my project is very technical and all of it is kind of prototyped and done by me first and then kind of passing it on after testing and kind of proving that it works. So I think it's, yeah, the skill set is going to be used no matter what role you're in. And I think that I see that even say like Courtney, when I work with you, I think that you're a very, you have a very PM mind for a designer and then say like Dan has a very engineer mind for product. And I think kind of, it's all like a Venn diagram and we're all somehow in yeah. the middle of all that. I think that we're all probably like the same type of hybrid in that way. Like I'm not, um, you know, I'm not a super tooler. Like I'm not focused entirely, like I love tools, but I also don't like want to just, that's not what I want to do all the time. Right. And I think there's a certain level of like, PMs are allowed to impact the product roadmap at an earlier phase than almost anybody in the organization traditionally. Um, I'm not saying the engineers don't, but I think the engineering, a lot of the time, especially if you're earning it as a junior, you're seen as almost like more of a resource or like you get assigned to a team building X feature. It's less about asking you, well, what feature do you want to build, right? And I don't know that that's, that's correct. You know, that probably isn't correct. I think you've seen a lot of like really well led engineering teams, i.e. Basecamp, um, like engineering heavy that help build features, help build, like learn the customer voice and actually just build things according to that. But um, what if somebody's trying to get into this area? You know, I know that you're, you're younger and you've entered the field um, and Dan and I have been a little bit removed from like what the current scene is. So like, what is, what is your journey? What does it look like? So one, how did you decide that this was your interest and then how has it kind of morphed as you've walked along this path? Right. And you've got gained more information. Yeah, I think uh, this quarantine has also given me a lot of time to think about this and be a lot more reflective about my journey. So happy to share my thoughts. So I think um, in terms of getting into the field, a lot of CS is really different from like traditional, maybe like what you're doing in high school or whatever, uh, where you're just doing schoolwork. I think a lot of it unfortunately depends on you doing things outside of school. Um, and I think there, there needs to be some sort of balance between you know, not penalizing people for not wanting to spend their free time doing personal projects if that's not their interest. I think for me, uh, it just so aligns that a lot of my interests are almost counted as like productive tasks within this field. Um, so I think that's kind of a, a big thing is like, where are your interests? Um, and so even if your interests outside of school doesn't lie in, you know, 
programming. I think it's fine. Um, finding other ways around that. So maybe you can join clubs and if you are very so like a very social person and helping organize events, like that's another way that I've been able to really put myself in the tech field is by going to different hackathons, meeting new people, working on projects, learning new frameworks, uh, languages, and then starting my own club at UBC um, that's also dedicated to organizing hackathons. So what have been some of the, like, I guess, landmark uh, hackathons for you, right? The ones that you've, you've kind of gained some connections or um, that stick out in your mind as being important yeah. in, your, in your journey? Yeah, I think, um, so I, I think there were two like really big ones that altered my path a lot. So Hack the North is the first one and it's the first hackathon that I've been to outside of Vancouver and I actually traveled for it. So the commitment felt a lot higher and I felt a lot of pressure to just do really well at that hackathon. Um, we ended up like winning some sort of prize, I remember, but I don't think that was the goal. Like that just showed me that like that was the first hackathon where I went to and I realized walking away from it that the people that I met were kind of the best part. And it's funny because this past, well, last summer now, um, I was visiting Toronto and ended up meeting up with a few of them. So um, I think the connections go a long way. And so that was a really big part of it is just meeting all these people, first time seeing all these boots of people from different companies that I have only seen on the internet in person was just a crazy experience and like getting to talk to recruiters of different companies and putting a face to the companies that I've loved a lot over the years is like one thing that really just like, because it was, it was like almost like just starstruck. Like I was just starstruck by <laughs> all the things that were there. And then the second one is Pearl Hacks. It's in University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and it's an all-females hackathon. And it was, it was at this point where I felt like I was going to so many hackathons, but realizing there were such an underrepresentation of people that looked like me at these hackathons. And so um, going to an all-females hackathon just felt so empowering. And we worked on really cool stuff and we ended up becoming really good friends and we all traveled together after. So I think that it ties back to Hack the North where it was just like the people that I met were the biggest things that came out of these kind of events. Um, yeah. No, this is, this is a fantastic story. So going back, like even if we rewind even further down the line, um, how do you get even started with the kind of the tech sector per se? Like what led you to say, you know what, technology is what I want to do with my life? Yeah, so um, I've told the story before, but I started out with programming on Neopets, just creating user lookups, which are little websites that you make in Neopets. Um, and so that oh my got- gosh, I love this. Yeah, I know, it was like so fun. <laughs> um, and I think it's such a fun way to learn programming where it's, the goal is not to teach you how to program. The goal is to do something completely different, which is just make your site pretty so that people would, your friends would be in awe when they visit your page. Um, but then it kind of teaches you in between. And I think that's actually a big gap that we have to fill as like people, I, especially like educators, I see that um, we often like have, I think the goalposts could be shifted so that people learn the value of programming and not just like the theory behind it, but that's a different story. Um, so yeah, Neopets uh, started with that and learned a lot of HTML, CSS. Um, and that got me kind of started, but I never even knew that was a thing that you could do. Like you could, you know, be a front end developer as a career. I never thought about that. Um, but there was just something that I really enjoyed doing on the side. And I loved making graphics with paint and stuff like that. So it was always like really tied to all these um, creation of digital things, but not quite really realizing where this could go. Um, so I think the big thing for me was um, I actually, now that I think back, I wanted to go into biotechnology. Um, and the reason for that being, I really enjoyed biology and I also really enjoyed technology. Um, and I was involved in this organization in grade 11. We were kickstarting this organization called Tech Easy, uh, where we went to senior homes and basically helped them with technology on the weekend. So we would just sit there and have like office hours. Um, and that was just so much fun for me. And it was kind of like, I had one skill that was really valuable to a certain audience. Um, and it was just so gratifying to see it making a difference. So like even helping them set up Skype so that they could call their family or more often than not, I was fixing printers in the senior homes. Um, so stuff like that um, made me like just really proud of um, 
knowing how to use tech. Um, so it all kind of merged from there. And then it just made a lot of sense to go into computer science, science after that. Yeah. My skill would be uh, rebooting the Wi-Fi router. Oh, <laughs> yes. that's a really good one. Yes. To get everything restarted again. <laughs> everything I don't know how many times, yeah, family members. Oh, man, I, I'm not going to get into that, but yeah. Can you get in a, a, a taxi from the airport? It's like, oh, you work for Company X? Well, don't I have oh, a question for you? My you work for Microsoft. Let me tell you facts. about Teams. Let me tell you about Teams. Uh, I don't work on the team <laughs> team. I'm sorry. Uh, but I, I think that a very important thing um, you made sure I mean, it was around kind of the creativity that goes into the process. I think that's the the more I kind of immerse myself in the learning process of how people learn programming, learn technology, I feel like we are doing a huge disservice uh, to those that want to break into the industry by over complexifying things, by over creating this kind of a almost like a gatekeeping mechanism of saying that, oh, like programming is the super hard thing where you need to know, um, you know, what are the arrays and how to sort an array versus you can focus it on a more creative aspect of that. I think this is what resonated we just said, where it's about empowering creativity, where I'm able to build things. I'm able to see something happen on the screen that solves a problem or maybe doesn't solve a problem. Like we all remember MySpace, right? Like what was the point of me doing, a, you know, an autoplay Backstreet Boys song when you go to my MySpace page? It doesn't matter, but it was fun. And it was something that kind of then pushes you to say, oh, cool, I can do this. I wonder what else can I do? Versus here's a Hello World program. And by the way, let's sort of string array while you're at it. Like uh, that does not yeah. drive interest. You're doing it to create. Right, Charmaine, like you mentioned, you're doing it because you wanted to create something. Yeah, um, I, I really agree with that. I think it's so often overlooked. And I see that even with people who make passion projects and work on programming projects like outside of school and stuff. Um, they always feel like their personal projects have to be some sort of very usable thing. So they end up making a calculator, a to-do list um, and nothing wrong with those. Like those really help you in terms of like learning the data structures to use and how to store things and doing a full stack app. But I think like, yeah, things that are fun is often so undervalued. Um, I think Dan's meeting app with Dan <laughs> was a good example. Meeting shot, yeah. Yeah, um, where basically they created this interface where you could pretend you're in a Zoom call with a bunch of people. Um, and it's really fun. And I think that's the kind of underrated part of it. Um, the other day I was browsing through LinkedIn and I saw someone with like a really pretty picture and I was like, wow, I wonder what their skincare routine is. Um, so I was thinking like, oh, what if people built like a Chrome extension where if you both have it activated, you could see someone's LinkedIn like skincare routine on LinkedIn. <laughs> you could see all the, all the products they endorse on LinkedIn. Yeah. Like yeah. And it only works if you both Here's have my it link on, tree. So like, yeah. So no worries if, you know, you're like ashamed of it or whatever. It's only people who have the same interests that can see it. And I think stuff like that are things that make you want to build something just for the sake of it. And that's also kind of fun. And I I mean, of course, like we have to build things with impact in mind. Um, but I think, yeah, creative coding like, is really underrated. Like, yeah, what if it was like, what type of what type of anime does this person into? What type, what do they listen to? What are their playlists like? You learn yeah. so much about people, like what type of movies they like, right? Like this is stuff that we would talk about in a, if you were at a conference, it would probably come up, right? Like we would talk about something that we are into right now. It's not necessarily going to be just all professional. And I think, man, I kind of love that angle about like adding that layer on LinkedIn really makes it a rich yeah. connection engine. The, the, the stupid thing that I wanted to build for the longest time is a connector that reads my Spotify, what's playing right now and puts it on my blog. It's totally pointless. Nobody cares that I'm listening to Drake at this moment, but it's fun. And I think that's kind of the point of, um, uh, so we talked to Dan on our last episode, but uh, he ran a team at Microsoft at the time uh, in like 2012, 2011 called Coding for Fun. Uh, and literally the premise of the team was building stuff for fun. They built boxing robots. They built a uh, uh, auto-tune voice changer. Uh, you know, they built that uh, Mustang that is went to West Coast Customs and has this like all outfitted with technology and Xbox in the back with a projector. Like, it's not a product. 
like you know if i would ask somebody like would you buy a boxing robot people probably like i don't i don't know why right like it's not a multi-million dollar business but just building that thing is super fun and i think that's uh i agree it's super underrated and i feel like we're we're missing out on a lot of talent by having this dry mathematical approach to programming right it's like well, Courtney, like teaching somebody design and saying well hold on before you learn how to design here's a pencil paper learn to draw faces like what why why do i need that like mm -hmm. well and i think that we're also and i will open this conversation to both of you because we're seeing this revolution again i think that there, this happened in the early 2000s like i'm talking like 2000 to 2004 five ish where there were like no code tools being built and they kind of dropped off um you know there were there were tools that adobe was building like flash and Dreamweaver, um, you know, Flash had a, a great run. Um, but those were, to me, like that was like my entry to like visual design and um, JavaScript, really. ActionScript was JavaScript to me, um, ActionScript too. But like I wanted to create really cool Flash websites. That's all I cared about. I didn't care about this underlying structure where the data was being stored. You know, like I'm sure that's really interesting to some people. But again, we are in 2020. And I see amazing tools like Webflow, um, Airtable, like all these great rich products that don't you don't require any basically code experience at all. You can you can peel back the layers and look at the skin underneath if you really want to understand how it's working. But I think it's really empowering a lot of people to build businesses, uh, explore their like avenues of like creativity without any coding ability. And there is a certain i do think there's a certain level of like gatekeeping that happens like oh you can't you can't use that because it's not a production level um data so it's like no it's air table are you kidding me like super secure i just i'm not doing it the way you want right like i'm not doing it the way that generally a, a developer would want it to be done so i'll open that conversation up to both of you like what are your thoughts on no code tools and where that's going where those tools are going what are your favorite ones maybe Oh, yeah. So I think that um, I actually think no code tools are great. Like, yeah, it really does remove the gatekeeping. And like, even as someone who identifies as like a front end heavy developer, um, I think they're like, if I need to whip up a website for something very random, um, I would totally use Squarespace or something like that. Um, and I think there's nothing wrong with it. Um, I think it's silly to have to force people, like if Squarespace has the exact layout that you want and you need to force someone to pull it into code for it somehow to become a good website, I think that's just so silly. Um, but I do definitely see like why they're sometimes like frowned upon. Like I see that as uh, a lot of people using like Canva for design. And I think Canva is really great because it gives you a lot of templates to work off of. And it kind of helps ensure that your designs look pretty presentable. Um, but then the tricky part of that is if you, if you design everything, say off Canva, um, now you have a bunch of like non SVGs that you can't really manipulate beyond that. And so I think there, it comes with a cost. Um, and so, but I think it is, if you're just starting up with something, I think it's a cost that a lot of us are willing to pay. Um, yeah. yeah. And when you're using a tool like that, you know, you get into this area of like, there's a design is so like, you, it could become very homogenous because you're using like the same tools and you're getting the same templates. And so you're starting to see a lot of the same, same typeface or text treatment or whatever. Um, but you know, like I said, if somebody's getting into it, if they're starting out, that's great. And then their skills will evolve to the point where they're like, you know what, I need to upgrade my tools, right? My tooling needs to ex advance here. Right. But this is like, I always see this in a way that is more kind of taking it a level above where I'm using these tools to solve a problem, right? Like a mom and pop shop that wants to stand up their first website. They don't care about the fact that you're using jQuery or Bootstrap or whatever. Like it doesn't matter. I want a website that I can put like a drop a Stripe payment, have a credit card, yep. put it in. That's it. Whether the site loads uh, 17 milliseconds slower if I'm on Chrome versus, I don't care. It, it literally does not matter. Why would we burden those people with saying, well, first you need to care about performance and async loading of your JavaScript, like. That's not the problem they're trying to solve, right? Like if the same, I, I feel like with no code training, running a business. Yeah, exactly. That empowers a lot of this kind of the, the flexibility of um, 
engineering software and engineering tools without the overhead of having kind of in-depth knowledge, right? And you're absolutely right, like Charmaine and Courtney, like you're calling out these two very important things where um, maybe down the line, I will want to learn the deeper side of this technology and maybe I will want to branch out and see what else is there. But until I get to that point, why do I need to know that, right? Like if I want to learn yeah. piano, I don't want to invest, you know, $17,000 in buying a grand piano to learn. Like, no, I want to buy like one of those small keyboards that I can fiddle on and then say, okay, I, I kind of get it. I probably need a better tool now. Like I'm not going to buy Jimi Hendrix's guitar to start learning guitar. Like it's why do we need to save for programming? To me, the web is better when like people can express themselves in in a way that like is professional. Like I don't that's my thing with no code. It's like if you're gonna use a tool, that's amazing. Like that's so much better than just not doing anything at all. And some some of these people that are using them, you know, it's not their that's not gonna be their job or their business. They have like a lot of other passions or they're doing many other things, you know, they're not gonna get into tech, right? So they're using them, these tools that are even, you know more jacked up than what we had back in the day um, to kind of accomplish like, I think they're great goals, right? Get your business online, get something really well presentable. Like you mentioned Canva. It's like, at least it's better than like Comic Sans font and just like a Word doc, like screenshot of a Word doc. Like I love the effort and go for it. And it's, I won't even open that can of worms, but tools don't matter, right? Like there's this oldies, flame wars online of like, should I use React or Vue or it doesn't matter. It literally does not matter. Like, can you solve the problem in one of them? Great, fantastic, use that. Like, let's not get into like the super pedantic conversations around, you know, oh, you can only use Python to do data science. You can use whatever works for you. Yeah, I agree. I think there's also gatekeeping within like languages as well. Like honestly, for me, for example, I, went through like four years of university, did not learn Python because I was never required to learn it. And also didn't even take the time to learn it outside of classes because I felt like it was always viewed as this like, oh, super simple language. Um, but it's insane. I, I now know Python, it's the best language ever. Uh, and that and JavaScript, like, I think there's a lot of hate around these type of languages as well. And I think that needs to just go away. Like, yeah, I, <laughs> how I don't dare get you, it. you restrict me from Python? <laughs> yeah, the freaking NASA uses Python. I mean, come on. Like, if NASA can use Python, I sure as hell can use it for whatever I want. Yeah, though, like, one thing I would say is that um, sometimes the tool, like, yeah, the tool totally doesn't matter. But sometimes it's also important to, like, really step back and think about, like, rethink what you're using is that the best tool for the job. So for me, for example, loved making Angular apps at one point, and I made like every static website was a Angular app from me. You could expect that. Um, and it made it so insanely bulky. And for other people working with me who didn't know Angular, they're like, what the heck is this? We're just making a one pager, a static website, Charmaine. And you're, you have this Angular MVC framework. <laughs> um, and so I think it's also important to like really take a step back. Like when you have the capacity to learn new things, to think about like, hey, is it something that I do want to learn where there's easier things for the job? At least it didn't deploy it to a Kubernetes cluster because that would have been, <laughs> oh, here's one HTML file. How about we spin up a Kubernetes cluster with geo-redundancy? <laughs> and the text, I'm pulling all of it from a database. <laughs> So, oh great! Yeah, 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 and it's not just you know a SQLite. It's actually a full-on cluster of like, yeah, no, for sure. This is exactly what, and I, I think you're absolutely nailing it with the point that you, it's not just that the tool doesn't matter. You should pick the right tool for the job. If I'm writing highly performant code, I probably want to write it in C++, not JavaScript. If I'm writing a website using Assembler for it, would be nuts. Like, why would I even, like, why, right? For pure um, respect. Right, exactly. Like, you know, if I want to feel like I'm spending my weekend the most unproductive way possible, sure, use assembly to write a website. Uh, I'm actually pretty sure somebody probably did it. Like, and the, to the point of our coding for fun, um, I see so many projects lately where people spin up like a Windows 2000 in a browser. It's nuts. Like I can actually run it, and it's not just connecting to the machine, like to some remote machine and streams the video. It actually runs Windows 2000. Like, freaking technology is awesome. I wonder if it gets your uh, fans going. 
your computer fans just spin up like crazy <laughs> to running in the browser. <laughs> Probably, but a little extra heater. <laughs> y- y- no, exactly. Probably right isn't right now is not the time. But man, I miss pinball. I want Stream pinball. Man. I wanted to ask you though. I want to put you. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. Who are some of your favorite people right now in tech that you're following and that are influencing you? Dan and Courtney. Um, oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, yes, that, that's you know when we invited you to the podcast, we asked you to say this on the yeah. podcast before we allow you to talk. Yeah, of course. That's how I'm going to get paid for this. Um, but besides the paid ad, um, <laughs> you figure out where the checks are going. Please have them change the address. <laughs> Um, but yeah, um, so honestly, really great people to follow though, but I'm assuming everyone who listens to this podcast already follows y'all. So, um, other people, um, I think, uh, Brian Holt is one, um, he works on VS code slash Azure. Um, and he does like something like I think it's like front end masters or something like that in his free time and also does like vets who code I think very admirable person and really just like I I enjoy the way that he thinks about things and the th- things that he chooses to pursue and so that's why I look up to him um other people um there's so many ugh, but like I don't know why I can't think of any like off the top of my head but there's so <laughs> you, many you can cheat if you need to look them up while we're talking but yeah. I, I just I always love like getting new um new insights, you know, who else can I go out and find that's that's creating like awesome stuff? Yeah, I'll I'll look and then I'll come back to it. I'll look as we're talking. All that matters is that both of us, Courtney and I, we made it on the list. So that's yeah, great answer. With a small um, payment. <laughs> yeah. Uh from our sponsor, Squarespace. <laughs> uh, <laughs> also, speaking of no code builders. <laughs> uh, right. Uh, no, we're to be very clear, we're not sponsored by Squarespace. But um, I actually do have a question, and this is kind of um, you kind of mentioned the fact that you do a lot of things. You know, you obviously, I'm sure you're busy with uh, primary work, but then you're involved in a lot of the projects outside of the work. How do you find a motivation? Because I feel like that's that's a conversation I haven't found a good answer for when I talk to people. Because to me, it's like, well, I just love doing these things, and it's fun. Um, for other folks that say they work. Um, as engineers and throughout the day, they just code all day. It's hard to find the motivation and say, well, um, I'm going to be coding after hours as well. What's your motivation? Yeah. So first of all, I really want to say that, like, if you're a student and you're trying to break into the field or whatever, um, don't put so much pressure on your personal projects. Like, I think that, like, it goes back to what I said before. If your passion is not in tech, like, just get the personal projects out of the way and then just leave them. Like you can leave them on your website for whatever amount of time that you want to put them there for. Like there really is no need for that. Um, So yeah, I think it comes down a lot to like things that you genuinely enjoy. So for me, for example, um, I don't think that the things that I do outside of work are necessarily counted as productive. Um, And I think this is a quote that I've heard before where like you need to differentiate between working hard and productive. And I think a lot of times working hard, not productive. and so, for example, like my blog really doesn't really add that much value, in my opinion, if I'm looking for a job. Um, but it's my creative outlet and it's a way for me to bridge the two things that I love, which is writing and tech. Um, and so I think that gives me the motivation. It's because it's the one thing that I really want and it's the intersection of two things that I really love. Um, so I think that's one, like finding things that you enjoy. And it also goes back to like, hey, if the things that you want to do are not to-do lists and calculators, it's fine. Just create the thing that you think is funny or uh, will add like a small value to your life. Like I remember, like, yeah, it's similar to what you said about Spotify. Um, I, on my website, for example, I have this button that if you click it on the bottom, it says all the way up and a song plays that goes all the way up <laughs> and it boosts you to the I front of the page. Find that. I know. And actually, even in early stages of the UBC Hacks website, we had like so many Easter eggs in the page that I just like couldn't help myself. Like I, I had so many things on the website and there would be like one person out of all the participants who would message me and be like, are these intentional? Like they're like, there's like ASCII art all over. There's, it's like weird stuff. Like if you click on random things, like music starts playing. Um, 
And so I think it's stuff like that. Like if that's the type of thing that you get a crack, like a little chuckle out of it, then do it. And then it doesn't become work. Um, and I'm kind of conflicted on like how to like ensure that you're like, you can really enjoy something, but still find it to be challenging to work on when you're busy. So like love working on my blog, but when I'm busy, really don't want to work on it. But I still think that there's like times when you really want to get blog posts out, but you just don't have the motivation. And the way that I deal with it um, is that if I'm going to take, I think it's like associating positive things with it. So like if I'm really tired and I want to take a nap or I'm going to work on a blog post or whatever project that I'm working on, um, I'm going to take a nap. Um, and the reason for that is because I, if you no longer view it as work, it wouldn't feel like work. And I feel like over time by always kind of choosing the thing that makes me happiest at that moment. And sometimes um, I would lie in bed trying to take a nap and realize like, actually, I would rather be coding right now. And then I would get up and do that. And I think that's also like a pretty extreme thing to do. Like, I don't think a lot of people dream about coding and stuff like that. But um, I think that's like something that works for me. Um, and then again, like going back to, you don't have to just do programming projects. If you want to do side projects, you can do like other things around so if you enjoy event organizing, if you enjoy meeting people, uh, going to meetups or all these things that are dancing around the idea of like actual productivity, but are still really fun. Um, yeah. And then also another thing is I didn't realize until I'm like way older now, well, like a little older now, um, that it's so important to not always be focusing on like the output of the work that you do. So like something, sometimes like I would work on a project or try to learn something for the sake of getting a project done when I'm like barely scraping by learning the language or whatever that I actually set out to do. And so focusing less on the output, it's kind of like going to school and focusing less on grades, but more on what you actually want to learn. Um, more yeah. on the act of, of like, are you actually absorbing the content and being open to failure? Yeah. Right. Like, cause you're learning from your failures. Like you don't, if you're just going through and like copying straight from the book, it's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to pass clearly, but well, and I didn't retain any of that. Fantastic perspective too, because then you're actually going through the process of, um, you change the way you think you change the way you, you evolve instead of just kind of focusing on, you know, my deliverable is X. I delivered X. I'm good. Versus what do I learn in the process? Where do I get? Uh, which brings us to the next question. Uh, how do you learn? What's your approach to, you know, because you have such a um, breadth of technologies that you're working with and experiences, because I'm sure, you know, working at Slack is vastly different than working at Microsoft. What's your approach to learning new things? How do you structure that process? Yeah, I'm a big, um, so I usually, well, the reason that I want to learn in the first place is usually because there's some idea in my head. Um, it's rarely because I want to just learn a technology except for React. React is probably the last thing that I can think of where I learned it because it was just such a hot thing and I wanted to know what the hype was about. Um, but other than that, like most of the time I have something that I want to build. So um, I am a big tutorial follower, uh, learn by doing, definitely not a pure documentation reader. Um, but then once I get the hang of it, definitely a documentation reader and hate watching videos and um, like going through tutorials and such like that, like step by steps. Um, so I think it's like a bridge between the two. Um, yeah, I think those are the biggest things. And I think that the learning curve also gets kind of less steep as you learn more things and realize there's a lot more similarities between the things that you're learning and not everything is brand new anymore. Um, but yeah, and again, I think that um, going to hackathons was a really good way for me to learn a lot of the initial things where it was like my first exposure to them. Um, that was really helpful because it was a contained amount of time where I sat down and I'm like, oh, wow, I really want to learn how to use Unity. And so during this entire weekend, that's what I'm going to be focusing on. And I'm just going to see how far I can get. Um, so how much, of your, how much of your like computer science um, formal training played into like your, uh, you know, being able to take real technologies and start learning them. So like patterns and practices that you maybe borrowed, was there borrowed patterns and practices from your formal education that have went into your learning other languages or have you basically had to form those on your own? I'm kind of curious because I know like in the design world, 
it's not always so straightforward, you know, take those patterns of practice and just apply them to, de to design. Yeah, I think, um, so it's a little counterintuitive for me because I actually took like 16 months off school between my second and third year of university. Um, so I ended up learning a lot of things outside of classes and then came back and realized, oh, like this is that, that I was learning. So like I took software engineering, like ComSci 310 and UBC, which is the software engineering full stack development class after I've already done that in internships and stuff like that. Um, so I think it was a little backwards for me. Um, but what I found is that even though I knew, so for example, for that particular course, um, was using a lot of TypeScript, um, and like Node.js and stuff like that. And they were things that I already knew, but upon like learning them in a classroom setting, you get down a lot more on the nitty gritty of not just how to use something, but like why this works or like why we are using promises, um, and stuff like that, things that I was never really quite clear on, but just thought they were patterns that we had to follow. I think there, it puts a lot of meaning to the things that you're doing. Um, but I do think there are classes that are really valuable. Um, so one is like HCI course, like that's a course that I really enjoyed that I learned a lot of, because for me, I always thought that design was um, a lot of visual, like visuals, visual design. Um, but HCI, that course taught me a lot more about like, I think it's like Gestalt's principles or, or like of these just core design principles that I yeah. had no idea were formalized. And it really helps me think through my day to day. Those, how core, those core like user interface laws that are applicable, whether you're an engineer or a PM or whatever, you need to understand yeah. them. Things that you can't articulate uh, why you think a button works better when it's bigger, but turns out there's an entire like I forgot what the law was um that is like that's just a formula that always works um so yeah I think that's that's that and then another one course that I really want to call out is uh computer science and ethics so like tech and society um so important and I I think it's something that I've seen on Twitter where like why is it that those aren't mandatory um is so just boggles my mind that you train all these computer science computer engineers um to do all these things, but never force them to think about the impact of their work. Um, yeah. Well, and it's interesting because we have all these programs in the United States, at least that are focused on like, you got to get a base of liberal arts and it's like that stuff should be, um, you know, like that type of a course, like how is this going to impact the humans that you're working, you know, you're building for, or how's it going to impact the AI that you're building for X program, right? Right. Um, Ethics and philosophy. I think those are the two things that are, super super critical and we're not talking about you know for a lot of people that they assume that um oh i need to have like a minor in ethics like absolutely not you just need to know the basics of like how do you consider your the impact of the product you're building what policies are you missing by thinking about a problem a certain way right because this is where um i, I feel like we see a lot of that today where products are being released and then um, you know, a couple months later, somebody sees like a giant tweet storm happening and they're like, whoa, how did we not think about it? Well, if you had somebody on the team that was trained in ethics or trained in kind of that particular aspect of product design, they could have thought and say, hold on a second. What if this happens? But yeah, it, it's rare. It's like kind of integrating like I think test-driven development into a software engineer's role, I think that ethics should be similar to that. And yeah, it shouldn't be something that like, oh, one person on the team's in charge of that and the rest of us can just do whatever we want. Um, and I think that another uh, misconception that I personally had was that I like to think, hey, I'm like kind of an ethical person. I, I'm logical, I get it, um, but it's really not that. Like I think ethics and philosophy is a lot more about the frameworks of how you think. And I think that you could be a very, very smart person and still not be able to formalize your thinking. And that's where stuff like that comes in and helps you do that. And I think a big part of that too is uh, specifically what Charmaine called out earlier is kind of that the diversity aspect. When you have diverse teams of people that bring these different perspectives, they come from different educational backgrounds, they come from different uh, um, ethnical backgrounds, gender backgrounds, you bring that perspective to the table where you can make better decisions because you have more people at the table that have literally a stake in the project 
versus kind of like, you know, somebody decided, then you realize, oh, we didn't see this coming. Like, well, if only you had a person that had that problem, you would have seen this coming a long time ago. Yeah, the concept of like, when you're hiring, look for culture ads and not culture fits is something that I had to Oh, really that's a like. very good way to put it. Yeah. yeah, 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 where essentially you're not somebody that can fit into the mold that you already have, but somebody that can bring in a new perspective. I love that. Um, to that extent, so when um, you're thinking about the kind of the kind of projects that you're building, the kind of teams that you're joining, what's your criteria? I'm curious. Like when you think of kind of like what's the next experience that I want to push myself into? What's that litmus test that you decide to, you know, do I pursue the opportunity or do I not? So I myself have like kind of goals of what I want to achieve. So I think for this past semester, for example, I ended up taking six courses, which is more than I've ever taken ever. And five of them were comp sci courses. So it was such a heavy load and everyone just thought I was crazy for doing that. Um, uh, but I did it because I had to, not because I wanted to. <laughs> I just wanted to graduate this December, so I had to do that. Um, and so I think, like, at that point, I really laid it down for myself that, like, hey, I my priority is going to be school because if I don't prioritize school, I am not going to be able to even pass. <laughs> and then so that was my core priority. And then my second priority was actually, like, friends. Um, I needed to make sure that I was, it was like the last term for a lot of my friends. And so I wanted to make sure that I, I could still be there for all the last time events of things that were still happening. And I think that kept me sane. That's what made me want to meet all the deadlines and do things early was because if I got this done, then I could go hang out with my friends after. So I think those are kind of, when I knew that those were my priorities, I prioritized my life accordingly. Um, and then right underneath those two things, uh, was my work with AI for Anyone, the nonprofit that I work at where I uh, lead like content. And so that was kind of my second in line task. Like for any time that I had left over from school and friends was spent on AI for Anyone. Um, so that's kind of how I try to think about things is like I, I have very clear priorities of what like comes first for me. Um, but that obviously doesn't always work and it's very fluid. Like I think um, there are times when side things come up and you're going to want to deal with those first. Um, but like my criteria really is the amount of impact that it can make. And I don't mean that in like just pure output again. Um, it's like for me, for example, I was taking a songwriting course and I realized I really love songwriting and uh, being able to make music, even though I'm really not good at it. Um, but like that added a lot of value to my life. And so I then made it something that I wanted to pursue and get better at. And so I ended up getting a MIDI controller and getting a microphone like this one, <laughs> um, stuff like that. Um, so I think it's, yeah, it's understanding what your personal priorities are and then the value that each thing adds to your life. Um, yeah, it doesn't really get more concrete than that. <laughs> I do like you, meant, you mentioned uh, friends. And so this is going to be, so for some people, this might be polarizing, but any place that I've worked at, like, if I don't feel like I have friends at the job, I'm not going to be my whole self. Like I got to feel like I'm working with people that are my friends. And I know that there are different people that have different opinions to this where they're like, you shouldn't be friends with your coworkers. And I'm like the opposite. I'm like, I want to be friends with my coworkers because <laughs> like, I work better in that environment. And that's just who I am. Like I can't turn it off. If I'm going to be close to you, uh, you know, 40 hours a week, or you know, from from ten to, to forty hours a week, and share most of my life with you. Uh, we better have a good uh, understanding of each other and work well. Like, I don't know. I just I like to have fun with the people I'm working with. Oh um, yeah, yeah. The, my uh, good friend Philippe, who we're going to be interviewing uh, shortly on the next episode, uh, he has this philosophy of changing the world with friends. Right. It, Essentially, if you have an idea of a product of making the world better, like it makes it so much better when you do it with friends versus, you know, you go to the office, you spend their eight hours and then you leave. And then in five years, you look back and say, oh, well, I shipped this product and that's about it. Right. Um, which goes back to the point. I, again, that, I don't know. Like sometimes, you know, the people you're getting into like the org with, yeah, you know, sure. and, Sometimes you join a team and you don't know anybody and that's but, okay. But you learn, um, 
and this is where you, you get get to know people and then you see what kind of people you work with. And I think that's what uh, kind of Charmaine was alluding to earlier with the point about you know going to hackathons and meeting people. It's that's that's the true value is you build that network. You build the and as I don't know about you folks, but like when I talk to smarter people, I realize that I'm not that smart. And I'm like, wow, I learned so much from these people just by being exposed to their knowledge, their thoughts, their kind of see what they're doing, how they're doing. Yeah, I had an old coworker who said, you don't want to be the smartest person in the room and definitely hold to that. Like, I love that philosophy. Man, I, I must have been going to the wrong rooms because I never feel the smartest person in the room. I feel so dumb every time I talk to a lot of people. It's like, yeah, I've been doing this for 10 years. And I'm like, I know nothing. I can feel that. <laughs> but it's the fun of it because everyone goes through it. Yeah. And you're. I feel like it's always just going to be continuous thing, right? You're never going to be the top of the game. Um, and I don't strive to be. Um, so... Yeah, I think that's what Dan Fernandez in our previous episode, he called out that that's when you know that it's time to move on is when you start realizing that kind of you're not learning, that you kind of hit the plateau of just like, oh, I'm, I'm good. And, you know, the people that I work with, like I kind of know what they're doing, how they're doing things, and there's nothing that pushes me outside the common boundary, if you will. Uh, the question that I have also, Charmaine, is like, how do you avoid burnout with so many things happening and doing so many things. How do you avoid burning out? Um, so yeah, burnout is a tough one because I think when there are so many things that like stimulate us, it's just so hard not to burn out. I think, for example, I remember going back to like talking about the hackathons. Um, at one point I was going to a hackathon every other weekend and then sometimes every weekend. Um, and the nature of hackathons is that you stay up for 24 to 48 hours or whatever. Um, and on top of that, I would go to them because they were like far away and I thought it was so fun. So I would travel and I would have to wrap my Fridays around hitting like the airport on time, flying there, and then maybe sleeping on the plane for like five hours and then getting there, not sleeping for another 24 to 48 hours. I'm exhausted. I come home. Um, I you know, bus home. And then I just have to take on the next week. And it was so insanely tiring. Um, but like, it wasn't something that I could complain about, right? Because if I told my friends, they would just be like, okay, why did you go then? <laughs> um, and then I'm like, okay, yeah, good question. Shouldn't have gone. <laughs> um, and then I go again next week. So I think it's, yeah, sometimes you're just like trapped in a cycle of doing things. Um, and you're no longer even thinking about like, and that's the thing, right? I was so conflicted because I had so much fun at hackathons. Like I genuinely enjoyed them. Um, I loved being able to learn new things, meet new people. Um, I loved the traveling aspect of like, hey, getting to travel for free um, to go to these hackathons. It was so like, just so fun and rewarding. And I felt like I was doing a lot. But I think this also goes back to, I think I heard Dan saying this in the previous episode and Dan also saying this before, but you at one point get to this, time where you're just you have one year of experience many times and i think that's what it was i think i had gone to so many hackathons that it was no longer like an exponential increase of me learning things and which is fine but that's what i wanted to get out of it in the first place so i didn't review the plan i guess and so i did that for maybe a year and a half or two um and it just completely drove me nuts um so i think it's like yeah sometimes taking a step back and thinking about that um helps with burnout well this is really good stuff and i know we're approaching the hour so i want to be very respectful of everyone's time uh where can people find you if they want to learn more about what you're doing uh where do they go um so i have twitter charmaine underscore kaylee um and then i also have a website charmainekaylee.com and it just has everything that you could possibly want to know about me, I think, in one including way. the all the way up. Yes, fragment. yeah, all the way up. Um, I really needed to give myself that shout out because I just don't think anyone sees it. <laughs> so, yeah, um, now they will hopefully. Um, but yeah, that's how. And feel free to reach out about anything. I'm always happy to chat. And I haven't hit a uh, Zoom burnout yet, so I'm I'm good. <laughs> Well, remember, Courtney and I, when you become CEO of a multinational corporation, 
And in a couple of years, we'll just get back and say, hey, can you hire us? Remember the podcast episode <laughs> that we recorded with you? Uh, so yes, uh, keep doing awesome stuff. We're very, very excited about following all the amazing things that you're going to be building in the future. And uh, yeah, this has been a super fun episode. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was so much fun. I genuinely thought an hour sounded so long, but now it's like too short and I'm, I want to just stay here forever. Uh, time flies when you're having fun and we are some of the most fun people here. I'm just gonna throw it out. Um, one of us. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, all right, well, fantastic. And uh, look forward to having you on another episode, hopefully soon. Yeah, okay, cool. Thanks, Charmaine. Bye. See ya. See you.